The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In the book of Acts, chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas is about to end their first missionary journey. Uh, They go to three places. They're called Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And at Derbe, he makes a U-turn, and they head back, visiting many of those churches, and headed back to their home base of Antioch. And we're going to cover that today in Acts chapter 14. And it's an interesting chapter uh, because they want Barnabas and Paul to be something that they're not. And they will not let it happen. Again, this is Bert Harper along with Alex McFarlane. And Alex, I know before we get started on this, I know you had a great, great weekend. Would you mind giving us a report about it? Well, thank you, Bert. It's great to be with you. And I want to say a big thank you, of course, to everybody that listens to Exploring the Word. But, Bert, I want to say a big thank you to all of the people who came from 25 U.S. states and one Uh, outside country, everybody that came to the Cove this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was at the Cove, and I was teaching through 2 Peter, and Bert, on the first night, uh, the the MC was uh, acknowledging all the people that came from a long distance, 25 states represented, and then uh, he said, well, a married couple came from Hawaii, and certainly that's the people who came the farthest, and then this man said no, and there was a couple that they listened to you and me online from Stuttgart, Germany, and they decided to come to the Cove. And so a uh, big shout-out to everybody, and, uh, of course, Will Graham and Gigi Graham and all of the great staff at the Cove. They are just tremendous. And, Bert, we, I want to tell you, Saturday night we had an altar call. I was just asking people to pray for revival and pray about being led by the Holy Spirit. And we had quite, quite a time of prayer and altar call Saturday night. So all in all, it was a great weekend, and I want to thank everybody and, of course, thank American Family Radio for allowing me to promote it on Exploring the Word and on the radio. Well, amen, Alex. I'm glad it was good. What a partnership we develop over the years. Like Cove, we've been there with AFR, used there each year. And uh, it's just a great, great opportunity, and I'm glad. And I know it was Second Peter, and uh, I know we occupy till he comes, and we stay on target. We don't want to get off target. Stay about Jesus. And honestly, that's what happens in Acts 14 when they're trying to get Barnabas and Paul to deviate from their purpose. They make a beeline back. This is why we're here it's about Jesus. So are uh, you mind digging into chapter 14 and ready to start? Yeah, uh, let me read a little bit of this in Acts 14, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. In other words... The, the pure, life-saving gospel, they were giving accusation, they were imparting questions. Bert, have you ever met somebody that was, frankly, led astray by unbelievers? That's really kind of what the, 
the unbelieving Jews were trying to do to the Gentiles there at Iconium. They were, in my translation, New American Standard, it says poison their minds. It has the idea of embittering it, make them angry, and again, that's what they tried to do. But notice that in verse 1, Jews and the Greeks. Now, notice where they went. They went to the synagogue. Now, what in the world were the Greeks doing in the synagogue? Alex, I thought that was a place for the Jews. Well, you know, they were coming because Paul and his uh, cohorts would go to the synagogues to preach. And isn't it something, do you remember, uh, God desired that, and Jesus said this, my, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. I really think that uh, maybe this is why Paul would write in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The fact that Gentiles would come to the Jewish synagogue but to hear about Messiah, do you think maybe that's maybe what the Holy Spirit used to give Paul in Romans 1, verse 16, about the gospel is for Jew and Gentile? I agree with you, Alex. And what would happen at the, the synagogues, you had Jews there, but you had those Gentiles that wanted to come and hear the teaching, as you just said, one God. There's one God, and they realized that. Uh, they had looked at nature and they had listened to their conscience, and it had brought them to the point of knowing and believing that there was this God. And then when Paul and Barnabas comes along and they tell them concerning this God that he loved the world so much that he would send his only begotten son into this world to die on the cross and be raised again, those Gentile believers who had not become Jews, but they were God-fearers, they receive Christ. So you have this mixture, and it automatically became a church, a called-out group of believers, and Paul would work with them and help them to establish them. And verse 3 says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, uh, speaking boldly, and the Lord, who was bearing witness to the words of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, Alex, what's going to happen in verse 6, and I don't mean to necessarily in verse 8, uh, skip over these, There's going, they're going to tell the story about one particular man. In other words, a right. lot of works were done, but sometimes there would be one particular great miracle, one particular work that would get the attention. And so notice what happens in verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided, part mm. sided with the Jews and part with the apostles, and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that Barnabas and Paul have a trouble with those people that want to kill them. Actually, is of it. Well, I mean, that's true. <laughs> that's uh, the reaction to, to godly truth, biblical truth, the gospel itself. Do you know when um, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.11, um, Paul acknowledged his long-suffering patience, verse 11 of 2 Timothy 3, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and the Lord delivered me out of them all. Uh, you know, maybe he was thinking back to Acts 14, verse 5, but yeah, they were abused, and they people tried to stone them. So, 
They were aware of it. Verse 6, God God gave them a heads up, and they fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and under the region that lies about. And Bert, what happened in verse 7? <laughs> did, did the persecution, the hardship, frankly, the danger, did it silence Paul? Please read verse 7. And they were preaching the gospel there. What got them into trouble there in Iconium, they did it again in Lystra and Derby. That's the Apostle Paul. That's Barnabas. They are not going to turn and go back. They're going to stay purposeful. Alex, I call that a purpose-driven life. I know that's the well, name amen. of the book. But this is the purpose. It is for us to get Jesus known and know him and make him known. And in Lystra, notice what happens. A certain man, this is what I was referring to early, uh, earlier, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb. Have you, uh, I'm going to stop right there and say something. Have you noticed several times when it talks about uh, this had occurred at birth, their mother's womb? The reason is there had kind of been some healings uh, when something happened to them during their life and then they recovered. But right. when it was from birth, uh, the New Testament really takes note of that. And it says, uh, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up, straight up on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. Now, Alex, he did miracles, but that one was astonishing. And they pointed out it had a lot to do. It happened from his birth, and that got their attention, didn't it? Well, you know, Acts is written by Luke, who was a physician. Luke would have been keenly aware of what a birth defect was. And I think Luke puts this in, obviously, because it's the Holy Spirit directing him on what to write, but also the fact that this is an undeniable miracle. I mean, this miracle undeniably demonstrates the power of God. Now, how the people react to it is going to be really interesting, isn't it? It Bert? is. And this is what I, uh, one of the things I referred to earlier. They want to do something with Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul will have nothing to do with them being elevated more than the, they, who they are, Alex. Well, i got to say this. Um, in the ministry, you know, um, well, there's no saying, you know, uh, when you raise your flag up the flagpole, some are going to salute it and some are going to throw rocks at it. In the ministry, one day they're in danger of being stoned, and another day people bring oxes and garlands. I mean, you know, a garland you would hang around your neck like some kind of a hero, but let, let me read what happens. It's fascinating. Um, so Paul says, stand upright on your feet, and the man leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates, and would have done sacrifices with the people, which... When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also were men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities, these empty things, and turn to the living God, 
which made heaven and earth and sea and all the things therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways, but nevertheless he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Now, Bert, let me stop for just a second. Um, This man is healed by the power of God, but the people want to worship Barnabas and Paul, and it's a pagan city. Jupiter and Mercury, they want to come out and bring offerings. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they rent their garments. They said, no, you know, we're not gods, but we will tell you who the true God is. Yeah, I and think, he actually uh, references that. Amen, Alex. I think he's saying, you think Jupiter and Mercury or something? Let me tell you about the real God. And that's what he does. And we're going to come back and look at the rest of what happens here in Derby and Lystra. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Somehow you see through my heart And you welcome me with open arms Just as I am In the good and the bad You still understand And you never stop loving me Just as I am You know, very often you'll hear Bert and myself talk about uh, natural revelation. You know, if somebody says, how do you know God has uh, revealed himself to the world? Well, in creation and uh, in scripture. So there's natural revelation, there's special revelation, and we're going to see an example of the natural revelation where Paul um, helps people think about God, and he's going to tell them how to have a relationship with him. We're back on Exploring the Word. We're in Acts chapter 14. And by the way, let me give the number because we will get to calls and questions here in a little bit. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Bert, uh, everybody has a God. Here, this city, they're you know, idolaters, thinking of Jupiter and Mercury. But uh, Paul really begins a good explanation of the gospel, beginning in 15. He says, why do you do things? Look, we're just men like you, and but we are here to tell you to turn from vanity to the living God who made heaven, earth, and sea. Okay, creation had to have a creator. And then he talks about the rain from heaven, the fruitful harvest, filling our hearts with food and gladness. These are things that make us, you know, everybody. Even Bert, I think atheists try to deny it, but everybody in one way or another really does think about God. And I think Paul is going to use that kind of as a runway to steer them towards an explanation of the Savior. I agree with you, Alex. The phrase in verse 17 that is so powerful that you need to know, underline it, highlight it. He did not leave himself without witness. That is the truth anywhere, anytime, uh, under all circumstances. That is it. He has his witnesses. You said natural. It is that, a natural testimony, natural witness, natural power in nature. So he did not leave himself without a witness. And regardless of the country, regardless of even like a community in a college that is completely 
gone woke and they deny God. God's going to have his witness there. And, and listen, sometimes it is nothing but God's creation. Sometimes it's got consciousness within a man, but sometimes it's a people that God brings into those people's lives and situations. And that's what he's done here with Barnabas and with Paul. They come in, and as you said, Alex, I agree with you. They set this up to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so here it is that all this good things that's happened to you, uh, God is the one, the God, not one of your own making, not one that you can handle with hands, but the God of creation, the God of redemption has brought these to you. And notice what happened in verse 18. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They still, even with that, they were so oriented to a physical presence, Alex, that that's what they want to do. And uh, so this God that, you know, Jesus talked about it, bless those who have not seen and yet believe, uh, this God, you know, uh, cannot be contained on the only place it was contained in a individual is Jesus Christ, and he was God. And all the others, we may have God in us, but we cannot contain all that God is. Do you catch? I hope, you, hope I'm making Amen. myself clear. God's bigger. That's what Paul is saying, isn't He's bigger than us. Yeah, you saw us do that, but we did it through his power. We want you to know him, not us. Amen. Well said. Well said. And it says, um, with these sayings, scarce they restrain, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Verse eighteen. It. I don't know if in the King James it really gets the import across as strongly as it needs to be. The people are still wanting to sacrifice to them. Yeah, they are. You know, the people are so enthused. But there came. There, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must go through much tribulation, uh, enter the kingdom of God. Well, they certainly were preaching what they knew. Um, they knew what tribulation was. And i got to be honest, you know, anybody else, we, we wouldn't have blamed them if they had said, hey, you know, we're getting out of here and we'll never come back. But even after being stoned right to the point of death, Paul comes back, doesn't he? He really does. And notice what happens here in verse 19. The Jews from the other city, Antioch and Iconium, they were in Lystra and Derby. Uh, this is not the only time this is going to happen to Paul when he's having success in a place that someone interferes from another place. Now, I'm, this is looking ahead, but I just want to say it on the second missionary journey, chapter 17. Uh, he he's in Thessalonica. They run him out of town. He goes to Berea, and at Berea, many believed. But verse 13 says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. So here, 
I think this is operation. I think we need to dwell here just for a minute on on spiritual warfare. Uh, Satan, if he cannot get you one way, he will take an alternate route and bring others into it to try to destroy the work that is going on from God. And I use this quite a bit. We're going to do the fishbowl retreat out in Texas September the 26th, 27th, and 28th. We've got a lot of couples, ministry couples signed up, but we have room for more. But here's what Janet and I tell them. Listen, uh, children of pastors, uh, seems like they're a lot of times open game. Why? Because if they couldn't get the pastor and his wife to get off target, uh, he'll try to get some other way to get to them, to cause havoc with their children, to have havoc with others. And so what Paul and Barnabas do, they stay on track. Even after he's stoned, as you just said it, Alex, that does not detain him. That does not restrain him from doing what God's purpose is. When God's called you, you need to stick to the stuff. And that's what Paul and Barnabas does, even after Paul being stoned. Well, you know, it says that he exhorts the people to continue in the faith, and even if that means tribulation, suffering, to stand strong with Christ and for Christ. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through uh, Poseidia, they came to Pamphylia, or Pamphylia, however it's correctly pronounced. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and thence sailed to Antioch, from where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come, they gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith under the Gentiles, and that was back there in verse 5, even the Gentiles were coming to hear the Gospels, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Well, this is exciting. Uh, An incredibly uh, adventurous, even dangerous missionary journey, and they come back and they give a report. But isn't it something? We, very often, we testifying of Jesus, but we love to tell supporters what their investment has done, to win souls. We love to come back and testify the faithfulness of God, praise God for lives touched and souls saved. Um, when we come full circle with a ministry project, that's what missionaries and evangelists have been doing since the time of the early church, isn't it? It is. And, and let me share with you, uh, one of the best things you can do when you're reading or studying the book of Acts, have two places marked in your Bible, where are you reading? And the map over in the back of your Bible, we talked about this last week, and and notice the places that Paul goes. Now, if you're looking at your maps in the back of your Bible, you can visualize this if you're not. He comes to Derby, and it's a U-turn. He goes straight back. Guess where? Lystra, Iconium. Now, Iconium is where the place was where he was he was run out to Lystra and Derby. But guess what Paul and Barnabas do? They go back there, and that's part of his strategy, to strengthen the brothers. Notice those words that is used as he turned and went. It says he wanted to strengthen the churches and gather them together and help them. And, and notice what he did. It, this is what it says in verse 23. 
So when they had appointed elders, and I know you've read it already, but I want to go back over it. In every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord and, and whom they had believed. In other words, they wanted them to grow in the Lord, and he went back to answer questions. If he could not go back, this is where a lot of the letters that we have that Paul wrote that's in our Bibles, that was part of his strategy. He would stay connected with the churches that were planted under his ministry, and even churches that were not necessarily directly planted by him, like Colossae. Uh, now, this is this will take place later on. But I'm, I want to notice this strategy because the strategy still works today, Alex. They stayed mm-hmm. in continual relationship with them, especially the leadership, to strengthen the leadership in those churches so they would be strong, so they could help the people grow in the Lord. And as you said, notice what it says in verse 26. I could not help but underline this and highlight it. For the work which they had completed. Listen, they went out with that purpose, and they came back having fulfilled that purpose. Listen, that's the kind of determination we need to have in our lives. This is the determination that Daniel had in the book of Daniel. He purposed in his heart early as a young man, and guess what? That purpose continued all the way through his life. Here, Paul, they went out from Antioch. They were going to share the gospel, and they complete it, and they come back, I think, with a surprise. One of the surprises of the report is that it says he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Listen, this had happened on the first missionary journey. Now, uh, I, I think Antioch had already experienced a little bit of that, but now Paul comes back to that church that was open to that, and he says, I want to tell you, God's not only saving the Jews, he is saving the Gentiles. What a testimony it was, Alex. Well, amen. But you know what? While God is at work, it doesn't mean that Satan is idle. <laughs> we get into Acts chapter 15. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, it doesn't take long for people that they just want to add works to the gospel, don't they? They do. And if Satan can't—this is what I'm telling you uh, as we was talking earlier, Alex, and was sharing it with everybody. Since Satan couldn't quieten them down there in Lystra and, and, and Derby, they came from Iconium, and the Gentiles were saved. They couldn't stop them. Even Satan couldn't stop them by stoning uh, uh, Paul. But now here he sends these people from uh, Jerusalem and Judea coming up and saying, listen, these Gentiles, unless they become Jews first, they can't trust Christ. No, they can't. Gentiles can't come straight in to God. They must come through Judaism. That's, isn't that the basic thing that they're saying? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's almost like Satan, if he can't beat us, he wants to join us, but by perverting and distorting the message. And let me say that salvation has always been by God's grace through faith, plus nothing minus nothing, as, as has often been said. When therefore Paul, verse 2 of Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, 
they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Now, this is really important because there's going to be really a council or a tribunal or a gathering to restate and just codify what the gospel is. And certainly won't be the first time, Bert, you know... um, I remember hearing Dr. Geisler and R.C. Sproul talk about in 1980 there was a, a meeting called the Chicago Council on Biblical Inerrancy, and they wrote a thing called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. It might be a time again where, because, you know, just this morning somebody called me and they were asking me a question about how um, this pastor they were considering sitting under said that uh, the inerrancy of Scripture uh, is not important, and uh, we we put our faith in Jesus, not the Bible. This bifurcation, as if you can have the the blessings of salvation without being on record as affirming what the Bible says. By the way, let me just talk about the importance of restating to the church what orthodoxy is. Because what's going to happen in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, they are restating what a a true, orthodox, valid view of the gospel is, right? Faith not works. Jesus, no other way. Bert, I think might be time again that we, you know, passionately restate being a Christian means faith in Jesus and acknowledging the authority of his word. Amen. And this is what we want to do on Exploring the Word. 888-589-8840. Give us a call. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. All our hope is in Jesus, and what a song to follow up chapter 14, where they wanted to make Paul and Barnabas gods, and they said, no, not us. Our hope is in Jesus. Alex and I are praying that all those who are listening to us today, that your hope is in Jesus Christ alone, not Christ plus something, but Christ alone. So, Alex, uh, we got phone calls, and man, we got people who's already called in. Are you ready to take those phone calls? Uh, I'm I'm just about ready. I know they've got to get them to the right color on the the thing, and here we go. I believe we've got our first. And uh, by the way, the number is triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. Do we have Frank from Kentucky? Frank, are you there? Yes, sir. How you doing? Welcome. Uh, Thanks for holding. Yes, uh, I'm. Uh, I'm not condemning, trying to condemn anyone, but uh, um, I have a comment to make, and it probably will not be earth-shaking because it hasn't hasn't come about yet. What I'm trying to say is, the church, uh, the past, pastors, uh, are not uh, preaching. They're not teaching. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And people, they have all kinds of ideals how things should be. We should do, be what the Word says, nothing else. And so they they don't believe in laying on of hands and 
just mm. different things in the church. And the Bible says, I, I do not change. And people have tried to change what Jesus says. And, and no wonder we have so much trouble in this, in, in this world because people are trying to change what God says. So we mm. don't put God first and add stuff to the Word. And, and so uh, the church is supposed to be like the Old Testament. It shouldn't change, and it's been changing well, for a long time. Okay, yeah. Let me Thank jump you, in Frank, here for go a ahead, Alex. Yeah. And let me encourage everybody to read 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Bert, I'm going to say it this way, and Frank, you bring up a good point. I have long said that the church needs to reacquaint itself with the supernatural because— let me just say, the church, as God ordained it, and the New Testament church, we have things that nothing else, no business, no uh, 12-step program, nothing can replace the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, the power of believers uh, unified, speaking with a with a singular voice and praying and agreeing together, and yes, laying on hands and praying and uh, invoking the Spirit of God and the power of God. Bert, I'm just going to say, and you can think I'm radical, anybody, but I'm I want to be radical for Jesus. I think the the power of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural side of what Christianity is. We've neglected it, Bert. I, I think that. I will. I'll agree with you. I'll come on board. I want to share with you. The Holy Spirit brings the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. One is not to override the other. The fruit of the Spirit is God working in you to bring out these character traits that are most like Christ. When you read about the fruit of the Spirit and everything that it is, Alex, you see who Christ is. When you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you see what God has empowered us to be. And the empowerment is to be a witness. Now, let me just share with you, because you got to tie all this into Acts 1-8 and, and, and Matthew 28. It is that we shall be witnesses. It's not for us to have a glorious, uh, you know, time, although that can happen. It's not for us to have all the things met in our lives, and also that's always good, but I am to be a witness. And I, I think Philippians 1.20 says it well, whether by life or by death, Christ might be magnified, glorified in my body. So Alex, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they should be evident in the church, both not not through the exclusion of the other, but both. So, hey, Amen. we're going to, by the way, we've got lines open. That number is 888-589-8840. Where do we go to next, Alex? Uh, James in Iowa. James, welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, thank you. Um, I worked at a camp last week with uh, some Reasons for Hope from uh, Hawaii. I think you may know him. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, he yeah. was the speaker, and uh, I had so there were several young men at this teen camp, and one in my cabin who were struggling with depression and self harm, and they brought it up. Usually, you know, you think of them not usually opening up to those things or bringing it up, but they did, and so we praise the Lord for that. Um, I was wondering 
you know, the first thing to address is, you know, the, the what who God is, who they are in God's sight, and, you know, what you're talking about of acts of don't add works into the equation of salvation, and then just listen to them and see where they're strained from sound doctrine. Um, you can address that if you want to add more to that. But I was wondering if there's any stories in the Bible or characters that these people might relate with or uh, Bible characters who who uh, struggled with depression or suicidal things or stuff like that. that okay. you would... let, me, let, let me give two real quickly. When you read the Psalms, you'll find David was, he had some depressive moments. Now, whether, quote, clinical, but at least spiritual. But uh, Elijah, he was a man under depression. Uh, after he had had this encounter, uh, you know, with with Baal's, uh, you know, uh, God of Baal, Alex, he went ahead and he was depressed and God came to both of them and spoke. Yes, uh, depression is is real and you have people in the Bible and there may be more than them. I think it, I think it shows a little bit of Jonah being some having the depression. Alex, go ahead. Well, and I think about John the Baptist in Matthew yes. eleven three. You know, J- John the Baptist, when he was in a jail cell awaiting uh, beheading, he sent one of his followers to ask, Jesus, are, are you really he that should come, or do we look for another? And by the way, James, I appreciate you referencing the, the camps. I'll be with Reasons for Hope in West Harrison, Indiana this week. Wednesday through Friday at, at the camp that we're doing out there. But um, l- let me say, I think, uh, Bert, one of the things with millennials and younger, I don't, this is going to blow your mind, folks, but psychologists have a new term called bed rotting. Now, what does that mean? Young people, and we're talking teens and 20 somethings, that just lie in bed. They eat in bed, they won't get out of the bed, and it it is a type of depression because, for one thing, Bert, being sedentary, not getting exercise, not getting out in the sunshine and getting vitamin D, but the, the worst thing of all, not knowing who you are in Christ. And, Bert, we are, not all, but growing, we're a depressed generation because we, we've lost God, we've lost morals, we've lost initiative, and we've lost our purpose. Preach and the key it, to depression, uh, to overcoming depression, the key to overcoming it is experiencing the victory and the identity that we have through Jesus. Would you agree? I agree with you fully, and I know that depression can lead into what is called clinical depression and cause some uh I would say some of those uh, chemicals that go to the brain to be out of out of step and cause it even further. So when you have it that way, and I'd say get help. There's help available, and uh, I, I would sure love that. Hey, Jerome from North Carolina, I wanted to know a good translation. I don't know why we dropped him, but Alex, there's some good translations, and you and I talk about this. We don't have to talk about it much, but we need to say, listen, the ESV, English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version. Now, the reason I love the New King James Version has something to do with my age because I memorized everything I knew in the in the King James Version, but I never could do the vowels and the vines very well. Yeah. I couldn't say filleth and uh, you know, goeth. Yeah. And so when the New King James came along, 
Uh, it wasn't like having to relearn those verses, but it was, you know, using it. So that's the reason I love the New King James. Go ahead. Well, and I I do love the New King James. I love the the New American Standard, the the ESV. But you know what? Go on BibleGateway.com and read, and it's it's faithful. And uh, you can look at the various translations. The other app is free, and I think it's very trustworthy. Is Bible Hub, H U B Bible Hub, and just those are those are good sites that. All the translations they have are good ones. Well, we're going to go to Illinois and talk to Joe. Joe, welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I just want to make it real quick. Um, I, I want to know why we consider the, the, the Word of God living and active, but something like the U.S. Constitution, as conservatives, we say that it's not living, that it's what it says is what it says. Okay. Uh, let me Yeah, let me go ahead. On one this. let me say one word and you go ahead, Alex. Well, one, let me just say with with this. Living does not mean changing. That's uh you know, when Amen. we say the living word of God. Take it away, Alex. Well, in Hebrews four twelve it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. Now, what that means is not what woke people mean. Like whenever Hillary Clinton would say, well, the Constitution is a living document. False. False. What wokies mean by the word living is that uh, word meanings are fluid. Uh, Word meanings are not fluid. And by the way, um, whenever you take a document and you read what it says— that's called exegesis. Now, you can exegete Scripture, you can exegete uh, a Betty Crocker's recipe book, but when you read and you look at sentence structure and word meanings, that is objective. I mean, nobody can legitimately read uh, the Constitution and get wokeness out of it. The only way you can take truth and twist it into error is if you want to change word meanings. And that's why they say, well, um, the Constitution is living. When we say the Bible is a living document, we most certainly do not mean that word meanings change. What we do mean is that it was breathed by God. And Hebrews 4.12, it's got the power to convict. Bert, I'm going to say this. I'm going to throw it back to you. Um, the, the works of Shakespeare are very inspiring, but they're not inspired. The Bible is both inspiring, it stirs our heart, but it was inspired and given by God. It is, Alex, and let me just say this about the Constitution and the Bible. The Constitution was given for a group of people to govern themselves with laws, and it is in our language, the American language. That's why it was so important. And even the early schools by the founding fathers, they wanted them to have the ability to read so they could read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bible. That was a primary focus of so much of the early education in America, even public education at that time. Whereas the Word of God has been given through a group of people for the world so that that world could hear it. It needed to be translated into other languages. And as you said, it does not change. God is the same. Yes, it is. And his word 
with those meanings. And one more thing, that's why we talk about if you're going to do serious Bible study, you need a translation and not a paraphrase. Now, it's mm-hmm. okay to have the paraphrase to read alongside to help clarify. It's okay to read the paraphrase devotionally. It is. Those are good. You don't hear me criticizing that. But if you're going to do serious Bible study to find out, like in the book of Acts, how this all happened uh, and how it worked and how the Holy Spirit worked, that translation helps so much rather than a paraphrase. Would you agree with that, Alex? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for caring about objectivity when it comes to word meanings. Well, I believe we can get another question in. We're going to go to Oklahoma and talk to William. William, welcome to Exploring the Word. All right. Thank you so much for taking my call. My question was, there's a lot of uh, talk about the lost tribes of uh, the ten tribes of the Israelites. And it it would say that they would be punished, and but uh, it says in the end that they would be drawn together to themselves at the coming of at the coming of 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 Christ. Is that okay? We got Bert, cut off, did, Alex. Go ahead. Did we? we did yeah, we lose this. Person? Yeah, we did lose him. If you got enough, would you respond? Well, you know, oftentimes the the term quote lost tribes of Israel. Uh, it the Jewish people were scattered around the world after A.D. 70 when Rome, you know, really blitzkrieg Jerusalem, and they weren't regathered really uh, until, you know, in the 18th and 19th centuries, more and more Jewish people began to come back to the Holy Land, and praise God, in May of 1948, Israel uh, reconstituted itself as a nation. But, uh, Bert, it would take a whole show to do this justice, but there, there was the idea that there are, quote, lost tribes of the Jews that made up the European people who populated what is now Great Britain. And that's birthed some things that are not only false, but sometimes just about bizarre. So um, just be careful whenever you see the phrase lost tribes of Israel, because there's been some just frankly, odd and unbiblical teaching that's grown up around that. Uh, they have been using the word integrated into other uh, lang- other people groups, and even some of them came over, and they're part of the modern-day Jewish movement, They and, and so they're scattered. They are. Bonnie from Mississippi, we're going to try to answer your question about a good book about depression tomorrow. So listen tomorrow. We're going to try to answer that and give you one or two recommendations. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Tell someone about it, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.